If you have your Bibles this morning, take it to the book of Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse number 11. Luke 15, verse number 11. A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them, so he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country. And there he wasted his possessions with riotous living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave unto him anything. But when he came to himself, and he said to himself, How many of my father's servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, and I have sinned against heaven. For I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me a hired servant." And he arose and came to his father, and when he was still a great far away, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and I have sinned in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said unto the servants, Bring out the best robe, bring out the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf, and kill it. Let's eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found, and they begin to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. I mean, somebody's not happy when you get blessed. Now there was an older son in the field, and as he came, he drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was very angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. And so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you have never given me a young goat that I might be merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured his livelihood with harlots, you you have killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours." It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive now. He was lost and he is found. Today, for a few moments, I want to preach on the thought, the pigs that got the permanent wave. Look to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, the pigs that got the permanent wave. Everybody participate and say, the pigs that got the permanent wave. Remain standing. Father, we thank You for Your Word today. Thank You for Your love. Thank You for these young people from Arkansas 
and throughout the state who's come to bless us today. We pray blessings upon them and their churches and pastors who are away from their churches, that you would be with their churches and bless them. Bless Brother and Sister Waterman as they so diligently sow into uh, this generation. We pray that you would bless me, Father. Um, I need your anointing, for I cannot preach without you. Let every word that I say go to the hearts of people who are receptive this morning. I bind, rebuke, and bring to no effect every demonic force of the enemy. And I thank you that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I thank you that there's no distractions, that our heart is open, our mind is alert, and that your word would go forth to good soil and that it would change our life. And then everyone shouted a great big amen. You may be seated. Have you ever thought about some of the hardest jobs in America? Have you ever thought about that? Some of the hardest jobs in America. Would you agree with me that a brain surgeon has a hard job? Come on, wave your hand. How many believes a brain surgeon probably has a difficult job? What about a public school teacher? You think that, especially nowadays, I don't know if I could be a public school teacher because somebody would get hurt. Can I hear an amen of all the disrespect? But it's probably a difficult job. What about... um, The U.S. military, being in the military, you think that's difficult being away from your family, serving your country when people are ungrateful? What about being the President of the United States? Especially our President. (laughs) Okay. What about an emergency room doctor? You think that's a difficult job? Probably. What about a nurse, a doctor? Those are listed as some of the most difficult jobs in America. As I was doing research, another difficult job that was listed, the top difficult jobs in America, was not only a brain surgeon, a firefighter, a public school teacher, U.S. military, U.S. president, emergency room doctor, a coal miner, a New York City taxi driver, was listed as a difficult job to have. Clergy was listed towards the bottom, but it was listed as a difficult job. And another difficult job was the number one difficult job that was listed on the website. And I got the website if you want it later. But one of the difficult jobs that they listed, and I kind of chuckled, but after I thought about it, I thought, well, how appropriate it is. But one of the most difficult jobs after people done a survey was parenting. And all the parents should have waved your hand and say amen, amen, amen to that. Parenting was listed as a difficult job to have or a job that could be difficult. You know, I I thought about that. Why would parenting be a difficult job? Well, I think it's a no-brainer because when you become a parent, there is no instructional manual with it. Nobody sets you down in an interview and goes over what you need to do as a parent. Nobody gives you the do's and don'ts of parenting. You kind of learn it as you go. I think one of the reasons it's difficult is because of the expectations of people. I mean, you look at some people and they're like, fathers knows best. I mean, they're the perfect person. You look at one mother and they, they, they go to everything. They, they're, it looks like they're perfect. It's like the perfect family. And you live in a world that you, you are bombarded by the expectations of people. It's no wonder it's a difficult job. What about the responsibility of raising children? I mean, you've got to clothe them, you've got to feed them, provide shelter for them, you've got to provide adequate love for them, acceptance for them, schooling and education for them. And then at the end of the day, parents still feel like they haven't done enough. It's always in this battle, I should have done this, or I shouldn't have done this. 
It's the responsibility of taking care of another human. It's a responsibility of investing yourself into another human being. It is not an easy responsibility. It is not an easy task, especially in the year 2018. And uh, so, so I believe I would agree that parenting, I've, even though I'm not a parent, I would agree that it is a very difficult challenge, especially in this day and age when parents feel pulled here and there and church attendance is declining because parents seem to think that volleyball and basketball and baseball and all those, those things are good and those things are great, but it should not take place on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. I'm going to say that again. It should not take place on a Sunday morning and a Wednesday night. They have five to six other days where they can play volleyball and basketball and everything else. You as a parent need to have a responsibility that one day a week on Wednesday night, I'm going to retrain my children in the principles and precepts of the Word of God. And on Sunday morning, I'm going to make sure they're in the house of God. Because they are indoctrinated by the world. They are in the school system eight hours a day. And no matter how good of a parent you are, the world is still pulling on them. The internet is still pulling on them. The iPhone is still pulling on them. And we need some godly men and women saying, it's time that we bring the church house back into priority. You see, ladies and gentlemen, it's pressure. It is pressure. And no matter how good of a parent you are, we can never neglect the spiritual training of the institution called the church. God put the church here not to pacify you and to pat you on the back and make you feel good, but God put the church here as an institution of discipleship and learning and growing. And if we're not using it to the best of our ability, then we are failing as responsible parents in the kingdom of God. Glory to God. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the Scripture is clear. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 1, Paul speaks of the day and age that we live in. But know this, that in the last times, or the last days, perilous times shall come, for men will be lovers of themselves. Men will be lovers of themselves. See, men are naturally lovers of themselves. They're naturally lovers of money. They're boastful, proud, blasphemers. They're disobedient to parents. They're unthankful, unholy, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, than lovers of God. That is the generation we live in. This is speaking of the generation that we are living in. We're not living in the 1950s where everybody gets up and goes to church on Sunday morning. We're not living in the 1940s and 50s where America is Christianized. America is becoming a pagan nation. America is slipping from the values that we were founded upon. And we as a body of Christ and we as a church cannot forsake the principles and precepts of the Word of God and we cannot forsake the institution of the church that Jesus established. You may not like the church, but it's His church. He died for it. He loved it. He's coming back for it. And the Jesus said upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church will always last no matter what you think about it. You can get mad about it. You can boycott the church. You can gossip against the church. You can say the church is no good, but the church has been here for 2,000 years and the church is not going to shut down because you don't like something. The church is strong. It is vibrant. And it is going to move across the world at a rapid rate. 
parents, the word of the Lord to you parents is take your responsibility and raise your children. You can't do it without the church. Well, I'll, I'll just do No, no, no. God didn't plan for you to raise children without the church. It is a divine institution that God created and put it on planet Earth for you. So it can be a tool in the hands. You see, the Scripture is clear that some of our children will be disobedient. Some of our children will be unthankful. Some of our children will be uh, selfish. They will have no self-control. That's what it said. Second Timothy 3 said that we are living in a day where people will be disobedient to their parents. So let me just say this, let me say it loud and clear. Just because your child is disobedient doesn't mean that you did something wrong. Just because your child is wayward does not mean that you did something wrong. Now even though you got a responsibility, and I'm, I feel impressed to say this, and I don't want to hear anybody saying, well, you don't have children, you don't know what the responsibility is. That does not mean I can't preach the Word of God. Jesus wasn't a parent either. Paul wasn't a parent either. It has nothing to do with experience. It has everything to do with truth. I'm not, a, I'm, not a, I'm not for trends. I'm for truth. I'm not for hype. I'm for holiness. I'm not for, for performance. I'm for power. Y'all hearing me? And so, and so the scripture says that there's going to be disobedient parents. There's going to be disobedient children. And it's very important that you understand that just because children are disobedient and unthankful and unholy doesn't mean you did something wrong. Because it is the day and age. It's the sin nature. It's something that's going to happen. You've got to understand that there's a balance. Even though you will do everything that you've called to do, you may take them to church, you may be the perfect parent, and there is no perfect parent, but maybe you've tried your best, and they're still wayward. They're still disrespectful. They're still disobedient. That doesn't mean it's your fault. And you don't need to let the enemy to bog your mind down saying it's your fault. You did something. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, I was raised in an environment where it was not Christian. I mean, I have a biological brother that we both turned out differently, but we lived in the same house. We're all responsible for our own decisions. And sometimes the enemy will plague your mind saying that you should have done that. We all can be better. There's certain things that if we could go back, we would change, but you cannot focus on that. You've got to release it and know that you tried your best. But especially in this generation, if, if your children is small enough, they should not dictate to you whether they should go to church or not. If they are living in your house, you are the boss. Now, I know that it's, I know people are confused, especially in this generation, of what a family is. I mean, you look on TV and sitcoms, the family is not the family that you and I are used to. There's two mommies and two daddies. There's, you fill in the blank. There's people confused about whether they're a male or a female. And I am not downgrading people's issues. There's people that have issues that's struggling inwardly, that they, this is an issue for them and they don't know. And I'm not making light of that because I believe the Holy Spirit can, can help you through any issue that you have. 
And I also believe that appropriate counseling can help people. So I think there's tools, and I'm not downgrading that, but we're living in a culture where we don't know what we are anymore as a family. But I will say this, in order for us to raise our children, we don't need Bruce and Bill. We need Bill and Barbara. We don't need Sarah and Susie. We need Susie and Steve. We don't need... Come on, somebody. <laughs> we don't need Daryl and Doug raising them. We need Doug and Donna raising them. Come on, somebody. We don't need Amy and Amanda. We need Amanda and Andrew to raise them. We're confused nowadays. We don't even know who we are. Are we Bruce or are we Caitlin? We don't know who we are. One day we're Bruce and one day we're Caitlin. I mean, there's issues. Should we be sensitive about it? Yes. Should we preach the gospel and offer help? Yes. But we need leadership. We need strong leadership. If there's ever been a day that we need leadership, we need leadership now. It does not take a village to raise a child. It takes a mother and a father to raise a child. You see, we need leadership. James Dobson said, and I quote a few years ago, he said, the Western world stands at a great crossroads in its history. Since it's in my opinion that our very survival as a people will depend upon the presence or absence of masculine leadership in the home. Fathers hold the key to the preservation of the nuclear family. Being a parent is more than just being biological. Being a parent is emotional and is spiritual as well. Fathers, it's more than just providing. It's being there emotionally and spiritually as well. Mothers, it's more than just taking care of their physical needs. It's emotional and a spiritual as well. We are a triune being. Body, soul, and spirit. And as a parent, your responsibility is not just physical. It is spiritual and emotional as well. You know that 40% of boys and girls in America are now living in a home where biological fathers are not present. Every year, one million babies are born to unwed mothers who have no male figure in the home. By the age of 13, 60% of children raised without a father or a mother are most likely, especially a father, are most likely to commit crimes using drugs or be illiterate. If there's ever a time we need leadership, we need leadership. If there's ever a time that we need parents to be parents and be faithful with their commitment, it's now. You say, I don't need the church. Well, I beg your pardon. The church is here as an institution to train, to develop, to mature people. It is not ball games versus church. Seek ye first the kingdom. All these other things are added to you. Should I, without apology, challenge you this morning that church attendance should be number one? And I would say it, yes, 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 yes. 
Two hours on Sunday morning and an hour and a half on Sunday, or Wednesday night is not going to hurt nobody's feelings. Well, they got ball game. They can do it Tuesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, all day Saturday. But when church is here, we're going to be a consistent and faithful family. And we're going to make sure that they know that when they leave the house, that mommy and daddy was faithful to bring them to the house of God every Sunday morning and every Wednesday night we were in the house of God. You see, what you do... In moderation, your children will do in excess. So if your church attendance is moderate, they will take it to the extreme. If you don't raise the bar, they're not going to raise it. If you don't raise the bar of expectation in your home, who's going to raise it? You think they're going to raise it? What kind of men are we training? Are we training men... What kind of girls are we training up? Are we training men to be strong men who are an example to their family? Parents, what kind of boys are you raising? Are you raising boys where it's optional to attend church and optional to memorize Scripture and it's optional to be dedicated? I commend the Catholics. I commend the Mormons. Because once you get in that, you will probably very hard for you to leave because their catechism system is very strict. A Jewish boy, time he's the age of 13, he's already memorized the Tanakh. He's already memorized the Pentateuch. If you don't raise the expectation, nobody's going to raise it. If you're lax about it, it's going to be laxed in your home. If you're moderate about it, somebody's going to take it to the extreme. You've got to be the example. You teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. You teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. You teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. You teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. What are they seeing in your life? What is the example that you are demonstrating in front of your children? You see the perfect example of this is the prodigal son. The Bible says that this man, this prodigal son, came to his father and he demanded something of his father. He said in verse number 12, the son came and said, give me my inheritance. I, I want my inheritance. You know, that was very heart sickening for that father because you didn't, in, in the Jewish world, you didn't get your inheritance until you passed away until the father passed away. And when the father passed away, the inheritance was divided among the siblings. So you know what this selfish son did to his father? He went to him and he was actually saying, you are dead to me. Give me my inheritance now. That's exactly what he was saying to his father. You're dead to me. Give me my inheritance now. And the Bible says in Luke chapter number 15, and verse number 12, it'll be behind me. Luke chapter 15, verse 12. You know what the father did? The younger of them said, Father, give me the portion of goods to me. So you know what the father did? He divided it and he gave it his livelihood to that son. Verse 
verse number 13. And not too many days the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country and wasted his possessions. What did the father do? The father gave that son his inheritance. Even though it was like you're dead to me. That's exactly what the son was saying. You're dead to me. Give me my inheritance. I want it early. I'm getting out of here. And that's exactly what the father did. The father didn't argue with the son. The father just gave the inheritance to the son. So what's the point here? Sometimes as a parent, we've got to release our children. We've got to just release them and let them go. Because that's exactly what the father did. The father released the son and let him go. And that's one of the most difficult things for us to understand. It's one of the most difficult things for us to comprehend. How can we let our children go? But that's exactly what the father did. He let his son go. He let him go. He gave his inheritance to him and let him go. He didn't say to him, you should be like your brother. He's happy. He didn't say, why are you doing this to your mother and I? You know what the father did? He just released him, gave his inheritance to him, and let him go. And as parents, sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, one of the hardest things that you've got to do is let them go. Let them go. Release them in God's hand. You can't fix them. You can't solve the problem. You've done what God has asked you to do. You've done everything. You're not a perfect parent, but you've done exactly what you felt you needed to do. And they're still acting that way. Just let them go. And you know what happens when they go? They become a slave of their environment. Because the Bible says in verse 14 that as he went... Now get this. Verse number 14. He spent everything he had and there was a famine in the land and he began to be in want. Because that's exactly what happens when you do your own thing. When you do your own thing, you're going to live in a famine. Things are going to dry up and you're going to be in want. Ladies and gentlemen, there are thousands of people outside of this church. They're in want today. They're, they're wanting love. They're wanting acceptance. They need deliverance. They need help. They need somebody to believe in them. There is people in want today. And that's what happens when you do your own thing. When you do your own thing, you will live in want. You will live in a famine you will spend everything you have and things will dry up. And you know why it will dry up? Because God is trying to get a hold of you. God is trying to speak to you. And sometimes you've got to hit rock bottom. And ladies and gentlemen, your children got to hit rock bottom before you help them. Before God helps them. If you try to help them out all the time, they're not going to hit rock bottom. That father never ran after his son. That father never got on the phone and tried to figure out where his son was. That father released him and let that son do what he wanted to do because that father understood that if the Holy Spirit is going to get a hold of my boy, then my boy is going to have to hit rock bottom. And I don't want to interfere with what the Lord wants to do in his life. How many times have we gotten in the way of what God wants to do? How many times have we gotten away? How many times have we gotten in the way of what God's trying to do with our family members because we're always trying to bail them out? But the counsel of the Holy Ghost to you today is this that if you're struggling with your children and they are wayward, you need to continue to pray with them, continue to love them, but let them go so that the Holy Spirit can get a hold of them when they hit rock bottom. 
You hear me? Let them hit rock bottom. And when they hit rock bottom, guess what happens to them? Verse 17. Luke 15, verse 17. When they hit rock bottom, then He came to Himself and said, I'm about to shout up in here. When you release them, when you just release them and let the Lord take care of them and you don't intervene and they hit rock bottom, I promise you, they will eventually come to themselves. But they won't come to themselves as long as you're intervening in the process. He came to Himself and said, how many, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? There's something happened on the inside of this man. And I want to say this, I want to say it loud and clear, that when somebody truly repents, it happens on the inside of them first. When they truly repent, it happens on the inside because this prodigal son is a true example of what repentance is. Verse 18, it says this, Verse 18, I will arise and go back to my Father and confess that I've sinned against you in heaven. So you see, repentance, this is repentance. Repentance is not getting up and changing direction. That's a part of it. But repentance is what happens on the inside of you first. Where you come to your senses first. Second of all, you get up and you change direction. We got a whole lot of people walking in guilt trying to change their direction where nothing's happened on the inside of them first. You've got to have a spiritual transformation that happens on the inside of your heart before you ever will arise and change direction. He said, I will arise and go back to my father's house. Before he physically moved, he spiritually moved. Because it's an Old Testament principle and a New Testament principle. The word repentance in the Old Testament means this. I physically turn around and change direction. In the New Testament, or excuse me, Old Testament, the word repentance means I physically get up and change direction. In the New Testament, repentance happens on the inside of a man's heart. So in this narrative, the writer here is, who is Luke understood that principle. And he is conveying that repentance not only happens on the inside of a man, but repentance is actually a physical direction that you change in your life. I used to do this, but since something happened in my heart, I'm not going to do that any longer. Since there's a change on the inside of me, I'm not going to look at that any longer. I'm not going to associate with them any longer. I make a change on the inside and I make a change on the outside. Repentance is more than just changing direction. Repentance happens inwardly and it's carried out outwardly. And what happens? He went to his father and said, Father, I have sinned. How do you know that you're really, really repentant? When you have the ability to confess out of your mouth, I'm sorry. That's how you know you're, you've really repented. When you have the ability to dis, 
regard your own pride and confess with your mouth, I've sinned. When you come to this front, salvation doesn't take place because somebody lays hands on you. Salvation is wrought by the Holy Ghost in the man's heart when that man confesses he has sinned. Why does he have to confess? It acknowledges that you can't help yourself. Deals with the pride of man. So what do we learn from this story? We learn that there's open hands. He released his hands. He released his son and let him go. There was open arms. Because his son came back to himself. And you know what the father did? The father opened up his arms. The Bible says in Luke 15 verse 20, I love this. Luke 15 verse 20, the Bible says, He arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great far off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. You know what was happening? The boy was walking and the father was running. I'm going to say that again. The boy was walking and the father was running. You see, sometimes we feel like in our sin that he, He's not excited to see us. He's, he shunned us because of our sin. But I want to tell you that even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. That even in your deepest, darkest sin, the Father will still run to you if you will just confess that you've done wrong and that you want to give a permanent wave goodbye to the pig pen. The same love that was tough enough to let the son go was the same tough love that was willing to receive him back. You see, the father never crossed his arms. The father never pointed his finger. The father never said, where have you been? How much money do you have left over from your inheritance? The father never questioned him. The father opened up his arms and received him back. You see... The father opened up his hands and let him go. But when the boy came back to his senses, the father opened up his arms to receive him back. And I want to let you know that the greatest story ever known to man is recorded in the pages of this book. 1,066 pages. You know what this records? It records that there was a man by the name of Jesus Christ who was born of a woman by the name of Mary. His earthly father was Joseph. He was born in the year 4 B.C. in the town of Bethlehem. The Scripture records that when he was born, angels came out to sing happy birthday to him. He grew up in the town of Nazareth for 33 and a half years, and he died on an old Roman cross. They took his body down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and they put it in an empty tomb. Three days later, an angel came, rolled back the stone, and said to the women, don't Seek the dead among, don't seek the living among the dead. The Bible says that he ascended to the Father and is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and I. This is the greatest story ever known to man. And I've come to let you know today that his love is still as great as it was 2,000 years ago. Somebody give God praise today.
Somebody clap your hands and give God praise and give God glory and give God honor today for his love. Hallelujah. I said the love of God. Mathematicians have tried to figure out the love of God. History has tried to define the love of God. Geography have tried to locate the depth of His love. Architects have tried to measure the height of His love. Electricians have tried to improve the light of His love. Enemies have tried to destroy His love. Voters have tried to vote out His love. Water has tried to drown out His love. Fire has tried to burn out His love. Snow has tried to cover up His love. Storms have tried to blow away His love. Death tried to kill His love. But for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'm telling you the Father has open arms today. The same hands that released that son opened up his arms to receive him back. Oh, it was hard. It was hard to let his son go. And sometimes we got to let him go. We got to let him hit rock bottom for the Holy Spirit to speak to him. But when they do come to their senses, don't criticize them, don't belittle them. Open your arms and receive your son back. In closing, hallelujah. I just felt the presence of the Lord in the building today. Somebody wave your hands and give God glory today. Thank you for the presence of God today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Can we just stand to the feet all over just one moment and give God praise right now. I feel the power and the presence of Almighty God I want to say thank God for His love. Thank God for His love. You can't exhaust the love of God. Hallelujah. You can't exhaust the love of God. The Holy Spirit's saying that He's given you strength today to let some people go. You've done everything you've known to do. You've exhausted your bank account. You've done everything. You just let it go. Let the Holy Ghost do it. But don't forget to always have open arms towards Him. Don't shun Him. Open arms to Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I just feel, a, feel apprehended by the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Raise your hands for a moment this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the presence of God.